Welcome to the Lady Preacher Podcast, a podcast for the progressive Christian. In this space, you are welcome exactly as you are. Whether you are full of faith or full of doubt, feeling empty or full, questioning or wondering, there is space for you here. Come with an open heart and an open mind. We pray this fills your well today as you hear about an all-loving God, an embodied Christ, and an ever-moving spirit. Hi, friends. Welcome to Lady Preacher. I am so thankful that you are here. Sometimes it really does me away that you keep coming back week after week and supporting us and loving these conversations. I am so excited for our guest today. We have on someone who is like the epitome of neighbor and her name is Shannon Martin. Shannon is a reader, a gardener, a, an author of many books. She has a beautiful social media presence. Um, she goes and takes a picture of her sky from the same place in her neighborhood every month, which I just, it's so beautiful, just like a really grounding practice. And she is someone I really admire. And she recently wrote a book called Start With Hello, which is all about simple, clear, down to earth ways on really how to be a neighbor. We have this commandment in our faith to love God and love our neighbors ourselves. But how do we do that? And this is a really great tool for really thinking about simple ways we can live into that commandment, thinking about how we can be better friends, better neighbors, and and better community. How can we reach out to those who are both near us and far from us, whether physically or idealistically, politically, whatever it might be, and and connect and live into community. And Shannon is just, she's an expert at this, but also by expert, I mean someone who's still learning and growing as she will talk about on this podcast episode. This book has been so great. I actually chose it for my church's Lenten Bible study. So that's why we're kicking off the season of Lent with this particular interview is I thought it'd be fun to think about how we embody our faith as a neighbor during this season. So I highly encourage you to get the book, Start With Hello, Uh, but also Shannon has some other great books, The Ministry of Ornate Places, Falling Free, um, just to to name her main ones, and um, just go follow her on social media too. It's such a great community. She always hosts really important and hard conversations in her stories, and I just, I admire her work a lot. And I'm just so grateful that she said yes to this conversation that I get to share with you and and get to share with my church folks too. So if you're listening, hi, glad you're here. Um, And wow, what a gift it was to sit down and talk with Shannon Martin. But before I introduce her to you, let's say a prayer together. I invite you to do whatever you need to do to soften your shoulders and, and get yourself into a spirit of prayer where your body can rest for just a moment. Maybe take a deep breath in and let it out. Relax your jaw. If your tongue is pressed on the roof of your mouth, let it relax down. Really feel your breath moving in and out of your body. God of creation, God of our very breath, you are so near to us. And yet sometimes you feel really far away. 
So in this moment, God, we ask that you draw near, help us to feel you, to feel your love and your grace and your comfort within us and around us. God, be with each person who's listening today. Fill them with your peace that passes all understanding. Be with us today and open our hearts and our minds and challenge us to see the ways that we can live into that commandment to love our neighbor as ourselves, because in doing so, we can more fully love you and the you that is reflected in each and every one of us. God, again, I ask that you open our hearts and our minds and fill us with your love today and every day. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, my friends, let's dive in to this incredible conversation with author, justice seeker, and salsa aficionado, Shannon Martin. Hi, Shannon. Welcome to Lady Preacher. Hey, Kelsey. Good to be here. Thank you. Can you tell us as we dive in just a little bit about who you are? And you don't have to go into the work aspect first. Like, just tell us a little bit about you and what you love, what you experience in the world. Yes, I love that. I am, um, I live in Goshen, Indiana. So I always feel like it, it matters to begin with my place because place is so central to who I am and how I see the world and what I write about and all those things. So we're up way by the Michigan line here in Indiana. Um, I work as a cook in our community kitchen where we serve a hot lunch to people a couple days a week. And I, I'm just somebody who loves food. I think about food all the time. Um, I mostly love being in the kitchen. You know, sometimes I hit my limit with that, but but philosophically in my heart, I just love everything about it. Um, and I am the mom of four kiddos. Our oldest is 29. So it's funny to refer to him as a kiddo, but he very much is still our kiddo. Um, he lives in a nearby, he lives nearby with his family. And then we have three teenagers still in the house with us. Our youngest is 14. So we have 14, 16, 17. And my husband is the chaplain of our county jail. Um, yeah, I, I am an introvert. I love to spend time sitting right, right on the couch, reading my book and drinking my tea and staring out the window and, and doing those kinds of like, um, inactive, like, like physically inactive, but mentally active things. (laughs) I love that. I love that. What a great way to like spend your days, you know, just wrapped in a book, doing the mental exercises. I like yeah, that. It doesn't happen often enough, honestly, you know, but, but if I could pick anything to do, you know, if I could pick like, what do I want a day to look like? It would begin, you know, with a really slow start to my day doing that very, those, th- those things that I just mentioned to you kind of, you know, watching the sun come up out the window and just being able to sit still and quiet and be for a little bit. Um, it's important for me to, to find ways to make that happen when I can, it's just kind of vital to who I am and the way my, my brain and my heart and all those things work together. And it makes sense to me with your, your passion on like neighborliness. I don't know if that's a real word, but we're going to use it. (laughs) Yeah, it works. (laughs) Um, I love it. 
you know, being in the kitchen and that love for food, I feel like Mm -hmm. food is the great connector and, you know, this being a progressive Christian podcast, like so much of scripture is centered around gathering around food. You know, that's the thing that, that centers us. Yeah. It's a uniting force. I think it's not, it's, it's not to be diminished. You know, I think we all, we all appreciate food. We all know that we need food. We all um, spend time with food every single day, but I think it can be kind of pushed to the, the side of being kind of frivolous or, you know, like it's not sacred, but it's, it's very much a sacred thing. And we see all throughout our lives, the ways, you know, any opportunity we have to eat with other people, any opportunity. And and that can mean anything from a bowl of popcorn to, you know, a whole meal or a big carrion meal at church or whatever that looks like. It's just something that, that I don't ever want to say no to. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like so much of your book is about making it simple, right? Like we don't have to have this big elaborate meal unless that's your thing. Right. <laughs> like, yes. Yeah. It can be chips and guac, like come over and like, we're having leftovers. Please have me over for chips and guac <laughs> anytime. Yeah. I definitely, I, I used to be somebody who kind of, or at least I thought I liked the big, you know, the big um, production for lack of a better word. That's not really the word I want to use because I don't think it, it, it has to be a production. I think some of us are really wired to, to want to present food in a certain way. I used to sort of be that and I'm really not anymore, but some of the people who love me so well, that's their jam and they do it really beautifully and they do it in a way that is inviting and not, um, you know, it doesn't kind of put up those, those barriers or, or cause me to feel less than, or, you know, all those things that can happen when that's our bent. So I just want to give a shout out to those people, to my, to one of my best friends, Sarah, who, who brings out the beautiful China and sets a beautiful table. And I feel so loved. I mean, some of us, you know, it takes all of us. That's the thing. Yeah, absolutely. I was reading um, the art of gathering by Priya Parker last year. And she talks about just the simplicity of like, doesn't have to be fancy, but like just setting the table. I think it was her sister who was coming over and she was like, maybe we should set the table beforehand. And she was like, it just set the mood that it made her feel welcome in that yeah. moment. You know, simple things that we can do to yeah. welcome people in, I think is yeah. really power- powerful. Yeah. I love that. So I'd love for you to take some time and carry us through some of your your story, your journey. How did you get to this point of where you are writing Start With Hello, putting it out mm-hmm. into the world? How did yeah. you come to this, you know, love for what it means to be a neighbor? Yeah. My family moved into this neighborhood 10 or 11 years ago. Um, and at the time we had just our three youngest kids, our, our oldest son, Robert, came into our family most recently. So he wasn't really a part of our family yet at that point. It, that happened kind of soon after. But we we arrived here with a preschooler, a kindergartner, and a second grader. And so my kids were just much tinier than they are now. And we moved from a community sort of out in a more rural part of Indiana. We did not move far in terms of distance. So maybe, you know, 20 minutes away. But the life we came from was, you know, a community where my husband had grown up. It was very, very similar to the community. I grew up in Ohio, Southwestern Ohio, just kind of a small um you know, what, what many people see as like a, a tight knit community. 
Um, and I've come to kind of even see that language a little bit differently. And maybe we can go into that or we don't have to. But, you know, it, all to say we didn't move far, but in, in every sense of the word, we moved into what was really a, an unfamiliar um, world for us. So we moved into just a very ordinary, average, a little shabby, you know, under-resourced, under-loved neighborhood on, on what a lot of people would consider to be kind of the wrong side of the tracks. And, and honestly, we didn't fully, we had no, not, no, not only did we not get this fully, we didn't really get it at all, what we were kind of signing up for and, and, and getting ourselves into, but, but what we found here in this neighborhood, in this place was going to change every, almost everything about the ways we see the world and, and the ways we see our place in the world and, and the ways we see um, the perspectives of other people who struggle differently than we do, who celebrate differently than we do. Um, it would change our politics. It would change the way we see God and who God is and how God loves us and how God works through us in this world. I mean, it just, it just changed everything. And so at the point that we first made contact, you know, actually moved into this neighborhood, we started to really reckon with um, this whole idea of what it looks like to live as a neighbor. We had both, my husband and I had both grown up in, in white evangelical churches, um, conservative spaces. And so we were familiar with this idea of love God and love your neighbor. You know, it's kind of like a rote thing that you just, you know, it's, you know, it's in the Bible. You, you know, I, I felt like, yeah, we get it. But until we were really compressed into a space with people who looked and lived and believed differently than we did. And just who simply like, there were a lot more people here. Um, we didn't really have to wrestle through what does it actually look like to do this and how do we do it? And why does it matter? And who is my neighbor? You know, all those questions sort of began the, the evolution of my writing and, and each, you know, I just wrote, start with hello. It's my third book. But but all three of my books were were kind of chasing a different neighbor question, um, and and start with hello was really specifically chasing the question how do we do it, like you know feet on the ground how do we do this thing I wanted it to be just a really practical field guide for anybody who was ready to to take this a little more seriously that that you know this idea that neighbor is part of our spiritual DNA. It's part of who we are. It's part of who we were created to be, but nobody ever really does the work of teaching us how to do it. And so that's what I wanted to kind of set out and be a, at least a small part of that answer. Yeah, that's powerful. Can you talk, you mentioned, you know, that when you moved into this neighborhood, your idea of God and who God is and where God shows up changed. Can you speak to yeah. that a little bit more? Yeah. I mean, I just, I had such a narrow worldview because I, I I was not in um in places and in situations that stretched me at all. I had been, you know, born and raised and spent, you know, up until my 30s really in places that were very familiar to me and very comfortable for me. And and when that happens, you know, and then you add on the layers of the really inadequate history I was taught. Um, just in terms of my actual education. I mean, there was just so much I didn't know about the world that I live in and, you know, kind of my, how I fit into that world. And so when we start to, when we start to kind of ask those, 
those questions beneath the questions, if we are people of faith, that's going to kind of push into some of those bigger questions of, um, you know, what God intends for this world and, and what God really thinks of us. And, you know, do we really mean it when we say that everyone is made in the image of God and that we are all children of God? And, you know, it's easy to say these things. And I would have said those things throughout most of my life, but, but those are, those are easier things to say when, when I'm mostly just rubbing shoulders with people who remind me of myself, you know, so at the point that we kind of, we, we honestly see it as we kind of escaped the bubble a little bit, the bubble that we weren't really even aware that we were under. And, and that just broke things open. It broke us open. It broke our hearts in a lot of ways. I mean, and, and, you know, as, as the saying goes, when our hearts break, when things start to break, it does let light in. It kind of illuminates places within us that we never knew to really kind of snoop around in. And, and so, you know, our, our view of God became um, more expansive and more liberating and more um, inconvenient in some ways for us at that time. Um, we started to understand God as just fighting for the people who who had the least fighting for the people who were the most marginalized and and really recognizing number one that that was not us um which did not mean that God loved us less but that you know there was there was something that we were being invited into the, this great work of you know being part of the reign of God or the kingdom of God, or however we want to articulate that, but that, that we could join in now and, and be a part of that liberating work while we are here in this place, right at this time with the people who happen to be around us. Absolutely. And I love that you use the word inconvenient because mm -hmm. I feel like so often we settle into this comfort place with our faith and so much of, yeah, especially what you know, Jesus asks of us and, and throughout the old Testament as well, you know, that idea of what it means to be a neighbor isn't always the most convenient thing, you know, right. it's going out yeah. of your way or, um, you know, I think of the, the commandment about gleaning fields, you know, leaving 10% mm -hmm. of your field for other people, like that's not convenient for your farming right. budget, you know, right. <laughs> right. That's not good wisdom, right. According yeah. to what we're taught to do with our finances and, or our property property, you know, the things we have that goes against conventional wisdom in a lot of ways. And so that is inconvenient. Can you speak to, you know, as I read your book, you know, it's not filled with scripture references, like it's not overtly yeah. Christian, but I feel like that's, it's like this underlying current, if you're aware yeah. of it and that call to be neighbors. So I'm curious if you can speak to maybe both for you personally, and then like for a broader sense, what do you feel this book and this work of being a neighbor mm -hmm. has to do with your faith. How do those two things connect with yeah. you? I think one of the big ways my view of God shifted was coming out of this idea that my faith was primarily um, individual or personal and moving into understanding my faith and, and God's love and God's, um, you know, power and, and being this collective renewal 
and this collective liberation. And so moving away from this idea of, of just kind of, you know, whatever I've got going on and, and, and just widening that, like stretching that to fit more of us. So to answer your question, because I think I can, I think I can tie these two things together. That was, that was one of the first thoughts that came to my mind there. The first two books that I wrote were much more overtly faith focused. Um, there were a lot more Bible verses and Bible stories. And, and that was a really important part of my process and, and, and understanding, you know, grappling with what does, how does my faith inform who I am, who I am in the world and how I'm behaving in the world and where I'm going in the world and who I'm listening to in the world. And, you know, all those things like that was, that was work that I needed to do that I had never really done and that, that I continue to do. But when it came time to write, start with hello, I wanted this to be a book that could be accessible to a variety of people in a variety of places. I wanted this to be, um, I, I personally, I believe that if we begin to understand what it means to live as neighbors and do that work, no matter who we are and how we believe and where we happen to live, it it will absolutely change the world. <laughs> you know, and that sounds that might sound a little idealistic, but I just believe it. And so if that's if I really believe that, and and all of all of those things are very much informed by my faith. Like you said, that's the undercurrent here. And I drop like just a couple little like pebbles here and there, but I, I didn't want it to be, you know, this is a book for, you know, a white Christian woman in the Midwest, which is what I happen to be. I wanted this to be a book about the human experience and what it could look like if we, if we came together across our differences, not even in spite of our differences, but just kind of you know, building bridges across our differences and, and finding ways to get to each other. And, and I know personally, I mean, you know, I don't know if you want to go here, Kelsey or not, but let's do it. (laughs) I'll I'll just like dip my, my toe into the water. Like I'm, I'm in a place, honestly, where a lot of, of Christian language has become difficult for me. You know, I'm sure if I even went back and read some of my own words and some of my previous work, which I still am really proud of and I stand by it. But I know that that I am kind of um I, I continue to move and how I want to how I want to word things and and how I think about things. And you know, so so there's also that element of really understanding because I wrestle with this myself in my own personal practice that that some of this Christian language has become so bogged down in in things that have little to do with the life of Jesus, that, that it can be, you know, it's that feeling of like, if this can be off-putting to me, this is going to be a barrier to other people. And so, so there was just a really intentional aspect of wanting to write something that was informed by my faith in a way that could be experienced and held onto by people who might not share my faith. That was great. And I, I feel like so much of it encompasses how I felt reading your book. I was like, okay, I can pick this up as, you know, a white female Christian living, as you said, in the Midwest, but also someone who doesn't share my faith, who doesn't look like me or believe in the ways that I do could also pick up this book and it could help us think about, okay, how can we sit down and, you know, order a pizza together and like practice, put this into practice because I feel like 
you know, when I think of the Jesus that I follow, it's, he's not one who would want there to be barriers, right? Yeah. 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 Well, and, and I, I just feel like, you know, when we, when we set out to, to do this work of kind of coming in towards each other, which is, you know, that's the, the heart and the soul of this book. When we're thinking of, of, of doing anything that's about kind of um, helping us to see each other more clearly, you know, doing that work to, to get over some of those hurdles that, that come between us. I, I don't feel like, I feel like there, there's a time where we can just embody what we believe, you know, like not only is there a time for it, like that's, that's how I want to live. That's the work that I want to read. And that doesn't mean by any means. I mean, I read, I sat on the couch this morning. I got to have one of those kind of slower mornings that I love. And I sat and I read a, a book that was very Bible-y. You know, that's still a big part of my practice. But I do think if we can't come to a place where we can just embody what we, um, the the ways that we're kind of engaging with our faith, if we can't go out in the world and and do that work without necessarily quoting a Bible verse, every other paragraph, like, then what are we doing? You know, I just think there, there is a time and a place to say it, this is in me, this is in me. And so we don't have to keep, you know, kind of, I don't know, like, like parroting the same things. There's, there's a a time and a place to do that. And I, I feel confident that I will be writing in those ways again, because it is in me. But, but we have to be able to just embody that too. Like, that's the thing I just come back to. I want to see, I want to see how somebody is living in the world. I want to see how somebody's life is being impacted and carrying them along the, the tide of re- the reality that we're in because they are, because, you know, their faith is settling so deeply within them that it, it changes the way they're living. That's what I want to see. And that's what I wanted to be able to kind of do just from, from my personal perspective, like I wanted to be able to, I wanted to kind of prove to myself maybe that you can write about, you know, this is a, this is a faith concept and a spiritual concept, this idea of loving our neighbors. Um, but it's something that can very much be embodied and not just about repeating the same Bible verses. Yeah. I, I love that. And we're in this series right now on what it means to embody your faith on the podcast. And, Mm -hmm. you know, just this last Sunday, I preached a sermon that was all about um, you know, what it means to like live, live our faith is yeah. to actually put things into practice. And, um, you know, I'm going to quote a Bible verse, but yes, please do. <laughs> uh, you know, when Jesus says like the, the wise man is the one who builds his house on a rock and he's the yeah. one who takes my teachings and actually puts them into practice. You know, it's not yeah. just about being able to like regurgitate That's commandments. It. It's, right. you know, I, I want to see how this transforms who you are and how you engage with the world. Yeah. Yeah. I think for so long, I, I carried these, um, you know, I carried this knowledge around in my head, but it didn't, it didn't really meaningfully translate into what I was doing in the world. It just didn't, there was a disconnect there. And so, so I I think, you know, there's some, there can be value in, you know, that the saying that, that writers often hear, don't tell me, show me. And and I want, I want to be, I want to keep my eye on that as a writer, you know, that, that we, we have to be finding ways to show 
what an embodied faith looks like. And, and by no means does that mean that, you know, I hold myself up as some kind of an example of someone who's getting all of this right. Absolutely not. Um, but I, but I want to be a person who is, you know, kind of taking some risks and trying some things and making some mistakes and regrouping and trying again and, and getting my hands dirty and, you know, just kind of letting the the sun wear on my face and, and all those things. I mean, we were given these bodies for a reason. You know, we were, it, I think of the verse that the classic John 3, 16, that is so quick to come to mind. But I think of that verse a lot because, I, you know, I was always raised, always raised to think of that exclusively as a verse about the death and resurrection of Jesus you know, that God so loved the world that he gave his son to die for us. That is the only way I had ever encountered that verse. And it wasn't until I really started, you know, it wasn't until I was here in the neighborhood and my, my world view was shifting a little bit that I started to understand this other part of it, that God so loved the world that God gave God's son to a body, <laughs> you mm. know, God sent, his son into flesh to, to live and dwell among us. I mean, that's the, that's, that's weighty. And that's worth, that's worth thinking about the, the fact that we were given these bodies to experience the world. That means something. Yeah. And that God is willing to experience the, the grief and the pain and the temptation right. and the joy and the food, you right. know? Yes. Yeah. Yes. All of that. The, the, the human experience. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, it's it, it it's about so much more than the death. Mm -hmm. It's about the life. It's about the living. Yeah, and I want to go back to something you said too about how you're like, I this is not a book about how I'm doing this perfectly. You know, mm -hmm. I loved that throughout the book you had examples of moments where you were like, okay, that was. <laughs> That was a little bump in the road or, you know, I think of the time you, I think it was in the supermarket. You saw some friends who had just yeah. experienced a devastating loss and yeah. you did what so many of us do, which is like, Hey, I hope you're doing well. Yeah. <laughs> oh know? my and, word. Yeah. Come on, Shannon. I, I mean, that's still, that is still my natural impulse Yeah. to this very day. If, if I had that same encounter again today, I cannot promise you that I would do it differently. I hope I would. You know, I, I really want to, I want to, um, throw the spotlight on my mistakes because I think we, we do learn from mistakes and I want people to learn from my own mistakes, but, but mostly maybe I want to learn from my mistakes. Like I want to, to be able to sit back and reflect on that and really think about why I responded in that way. And to really, um, wrestle with why I still like even talking about it right now, I have that uncomfortable, like, it's so hard to come near somebody's grief. And we don't, you know, words don't feel like enough. And, you know, we don't, we're so afraid of saying the wrong thing. And we're, you know, we have all these excuses that come to mind. And so it's, it's just too easy to, um, to pretend that thing is not there to just go through the motions. And, and that's what I did. That's what I chose in that moment. And the, the minute I got outside that the grocery store doors, I knew, I knew I had messed up. I knew I had missed an opportunity to just fumble through complexity with people who I love. And there wasn't, you know, nothing I could have said would have 
would have healed them from their grief and from their loss. And, and I also think there's no part of them that would have, that would have judged, you know, if I would have kind of fumbled through it, but I chose what felt like the easier way of just kind of playing dumb to what I knew was going on. And, and I don't want to live that way. You know, I want to push myself to, to be quicker to, to step into somebody's pain with them, because that's part of what it means to live as neighbors. It doesn't just mean, you know, we have the, we have this kind of, I love Mr. Rogers, by the way, but we have this idea, this, this kind of Mr. Rogers idea that being a neighbor just means maybe, I don't know, uh, being polite and friendly to the people around us. And, and I think that's, no small thing. I think that's huge. And I talk about those things a lot, but it's not just the good times. Like if we're really going to live as neighbors together, we're going to celebrate together and we're going to suffer together. Yeah. Yeah. There's a verse we read it in church and I can't remember now if it was from Romans or Colossians, but it was, you know, weep with those who weep and laugh with those who laugh. Like that's, that's the essence of, of what this is to be human. There's a lyric. I quote this all the time. It's like, it's become my go-to. I pull it out a lot on Instagram when I, when, when terrible things happen in the world. And that just, I keep pulling it out because terrible things keep happening. Um, But it's an Audrey Assad lyric. And it says, come join the mourners and God will weep with you. Mm. It fits. It just fits. It fits so many circumstances. And I just, you know, we, we want to be near God. If we're people of faith, we want to be near God. And we would say that we want to be near God and God is with the mourners. And so if, if we really mean that, if we really want to be near God, then we will, we will go, we'll join the mourners and God will weep with us. I just think it's beautiful. Yeah. And it's, it's that stepping into this discomfort, right? That, that it's not always, a moment of harmony. You talk about this in your book that like almost a need to be able to embrace dissonance. Can you talk about the mm-hmm. metaphor you use with that? Um, yeah. And, and yes. what does that mean for you of, of embracing that yeah. dissonance? I am, I am the lucky mother of two high school orchestra musicians. Um, and so my this, this might be my last year of that. And I can't hardly think about it. Um, Cal, my senior in high school plays violin and Ruby, our sophomore plays cello. And so they've been, they've been in orchestra, both of them since they were in fifth grade. And so it's, it's become a big part of our life, particularly with Cal, who is just like music is his everything. And so, you know, I never, I, I'm not particularly musical, Um, But I've always enjoyed music and I've sat through a lot, a lot, a lot of orchestra concerts from the time when they, you know, they're barely getting started and it sounds like absolute chaos, but you're just, you know, you're just still so proud. And now with a senior um, who is, you know, he's, he's just a really, he's a great violinist and, and watching them grow in their music. And I could go on and on about it, but what I have learned is my very favorite part of every concert is at the very beginning when they're tuning and they're, you know, Cal is often the principal violinist, which means he comes out in his tuxedo with his violin and he plays these opening notes and they all kind of, uh, you know, they, they find their tune together. But, but prior to that really powerful moment, 
there's this moment of just absolute dissonance and chaos and they're all playing different notes and they're all, you know, they're tuning their instruments on their own and they're, they're playing different tempos and they're playing different notes. And it's, you know, it just sounds really messy. And then there's just that, that one moment where it all comes together. And, and so it's this idea of like, you know, we're, we're playing our different notes. We're all doing our different thing. We're all, wherever we happen to be standing in the world and we're looking out and we're seeing um, different things and, and our eyes on the world are different. Our perspective is different and it can feel like this clash of difference. But, but as we continue to kind of find our way together, that's where that, like that unity comes in where, where then you're playing all these different notes, but you're, you're doing it together and it's music. I mean, it's just, it is like, it's like a sensory overload moment for me, which I tend to love. <laughs> like any of those moments that like flood my body with whatever hormones, whatever that process is, that's one of them for me. Yeah. And, and I feel like it's such a, a, a beautiful metaphor for those moments where I feel like everything just comes yeah into connection, right? You know, like you said, we're all living these different lives and every once in a while, it just like, yeah. You know, I'm it slides together. I yeah. I, I wish I could show people who are listening what I'm doing. You know, I know. we're doing a lot of hand talking through yeah. this. But that's the thing. I mean, it, it, any any orchestra piece, I don't even know how to talk about this stuff. My kids would be laughing at me. But any complicated um, piece of music, it takes a lot of things happening at once, typically, for it to have that really full, full sound. Like it takes all of these different notes. And it is, it's that moment of like, you know, we can, we can think of it as just like, you know, this is clashing, this isn't working together when we're thinking of our particular differences. But, but like you said, with your really good hand motions, like there's that moment when, when things do come together and we can look around and say like, oh, it does take you doing that and you doing that and you doing that. And I'm going to do this and we're going to do it in concert. We're going to do it together. And, and that's going to be a really beautiful thing. Yeah. I'm just going to keep going with this music metaphor because I just had this realization of like, so I grew up playing in band and I remember okay. our, our, um, band instructor saying like, okay, trombones, you're a little bit too loud. Like we really need to hear the oboe right now. Or like, okay, this part is for the saxophone. So we're all going to get a little quieter mm-hmm. here so that they can, you know, Yeah, and how so much of our lives is having that both the humility and the I don't know if confidence is the right word, but, you know, for to have your moment and then to be able to like Mm -hmm. sing back a little bit so other people can have their moment, you know, that's what it means to be human too. Yes. I love that. Can you talk about your hope for folks who are, you know, just like your average person sitting in a pew on Sunday morning, you know, who are reading this book word I shared with you, my church is going to read this book for Lent and so I'm curious for you, what your hope is for folks just like that, who are going to read this book. What's yeah. your hope that they take away from it? My sincere hope is that any person who reads, start with hello, will decide that this is going to be their day one for just being a little more intentional about stepping out into the world they're in. Um, I packed this book with so many really practical simple steps that we can take. And, you know, I'm a storyteller by nature. So I do a lot of storytelling too. That's a big part of my writing, but I, 
but this is by far the most practical writing I've done. But my intention was never for somebody to read this book and, and like do all the things. Um, my, my hope is that somebody would read this book and understand maybe in a different way, why it matters to live as neighbors together and then choose one thing one thing that they might do differently. And because we're all on different, you know, we're all on different places in the journey anyway, that's going to look different for different people. And so there are a ton of different ways to jump in to the work. But I, you know, I think it could be pretty overwhelming for anybody to expect like, oh, I've got to do this and this and this, and I've got to do this better and this differently. And like, that's not what this is about. This is about Maybe you recognize after reading this book that you are limited in the voices you're listening to. And so you're going to commit this year to broadening that. You're going to listen to or read or learn from more people of color. If you are a white person like I am, that was that was a huge um, moment of learning for me and continues to be. Or maybe you're going to read this book and you're going to realize that this year, you're going to invite somebody into your home one time. I mean, maybe this is, we're all a little rusty. <laughs> um, we all have, we all have our reasons why this feels scary and big, but maybe this year you're going to invite somebody over one time. I mean, I think we can let this work be really, really slow when we know that it's really intentional. And when we know that this is kind of, this is the work of life to continue to kind of build our resilience and build those muscles so that we get better and better. And that, you know, you take that first step and then you try another thing and then you take that step and you try another thing. But that's my hope is that, that anybody reading this book would, would think of one thing, one thing that they read that kind of sparks them to think, Oh, I could do that. I'm going to try that. I know it did for me. We haven't done it yet, but I told my husband, you know, we have, we live on this busy street and there's like five houses that are all in a row and we're kind of in the middle and there's one house on the end where we haven't met those neighbors yet. And Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, one Saturday, I'm just going to go buy donuts and walk down there and like, just start with hello, just say hi. Like, My name's Kelsey. Nice to meet you. Right. Yeah. Well, and this is what I want to say to that, Kelsey, 100% let me know when you do that. I can't wait to hear about it. Those are the kinds of thoughts that I think a lot of us have, and we talk ourselves out of them. Yes. And it feels so scary. And I don't know why. And I, I had the same thought. I went and got donuts this morning for my kids. Like I don't do that normally. Um, but it was a special occasion. So I went and and bought donuts early and I was pulling back into my driveway and I had the same thought. So I love that you mentioned that I should do this sometime and just take donuts to my neighbor. I'm the person who wrote this book. And I, I will just repeat myself and say, this stuff doesn't feel easy for me. I've simply learned that, you know, what's on the other side of taking this, these risks and they, they are risks, but I know what's on the other side. I know that connection is waiting there. So one of the ways that I've learned to trick myself when I have an idea like that, and I immediately tell myself like, that's awkward, or they're going to think it's weird, or they're going to like, think I'm super intense, or they're going to think that they have to pay me back. Like I go through this whole list of of all these reasons why I shouldn't do it. And then, and then maybe I don't do it. If we can put ourselves on the other side of that and imagine that somebody knocks on your door and hands you a box of donuts, there is absolutely no world where you feel like that is anything but amazing. I mean, even if it's unexpected, you just feel loved. 
so that's that's kind of my hack now is to just constantly when I when I find myself you know talking myself out of doing something for somebody or taking kind of one of those risks I just kind of flip that script for a minute and it really helps yeah I I appreciate that because I think that's the biggest barrier is we talk ourselves out of these things which is yeah. probably why I told my husband this three weeks ago and we haven't done it yet you know but now me. you've told me yeah. and now I know, you've told, now told all you. of your <laughs> listeners and we will remember yes I will follow up. I'll, I'll post a photo or something of donuts and I'll tag you. <laughs> I love I it. it. <laughs> well, um, I have one more question before we go into our, our quick questions that wrap us up at the end. Yeah. Um, and I'm curious, what are you still learning in all of this? I am still, I, I I'm honestly still learning to, um, push past my own comfort zone. I'm just always still learning to surrender a little bit. Um, you know, I write quite a bit about doing this, doing this kind of living as a neighbor practice as an introvert, because I am deeply and truly an introvert. And so I, I don't think that's ever going to change. I don't think it's ever, I'm ever going to be the person who, who, you know, is super excited about meeting strangers and, you know, all these things that, um, that I, I, I've learned can, it can be really beautiful parts of life, you know, just putting ourselves out there a little bit, but at the end of the day, I'm still me and I'm still wired this way. And so I have to find, I have to find what actually works and what's sustainable for me. And I just continue, I continue to learn about that. And I would say I continue to learn how much it matters to receive from the people around me. Um, that is maybe the thing that has been the most profound for me. And that's honestly, that's what changed me is, is not, um, not learning how to give to others as much as it has been learning how to receive from the people around me. That's what changes us. And that's where, that's where I see God's grace and goodness and love reflected on, you know, onto me from the people around me. And, and that's the uncomfortable part. Like I would much rather be the one saving somebody's day. Um, but, but when we get to, you know, when we get to let somebody kind of rescue us, that's a really powerful moment. And, and I just hope that that's something I'm getting better at it. it just whatever, whatever people in whatever way the people around me want to be generous, um, and, and sometimes it's really surprising in unexpected ways that I would be quick to receive with, with love and with gratitude. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a really humbling thing too. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Are you ready, Shannon, for some oh, rapid dear. fire? I think I'm ready. <laughs> Let's do this. Okay. Finish the sentence. God is. God is for us. Favorite verse or story in the Bible today today. Thank you for adding that at the end. <laughs> I'm going to go with Psalm 27, 13, and this is going to be a paraphrase. I don't remember exactly how it's worded. I usually read the NLT translation, um, but it says something to the effect of, for I am sure I will see the Lord's goodness while I am here in the land of the living. I just think it's beautiful and amazing and a reminder that, that God is at work in the world we're in and that the world we're in is, is alive. It is the land of the living. Mm, that's beautiful. I like that one. Okay. 
we're taking a, a hard right here. Okay. If I were to walk into a party or a large gathering of people and look for you, where would I find you? You would find me by the food table and or sitting like in a in the corner of a room at a table with one or two other people. If I'm in a big party, I'm probably a little uncomfortable and I'm going to find a couple other introverts and hold on to them for dear life. But hopefully I also have a plate of really good food in front of me. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> what is on your bedside table or your nightstand right now? Oh my goodness. So many books. Um, I should have counted. I'm guessing, I'm going to guess that there are uh, 15 books on my bedside table. I know. That's amazing. So for the listener, Kelsey just made a really funny face when I said that, like the, the gritting teeth emoji. And that is very <laughs> fitting. Um, I'm trying to think, I have a little thing of eye cream on my table. I have a, a lamp on my table. Do I have anything else? Like, no, mostly just books. So many books. Are you Library reading them books? all at one time or are you, um, I think that's why I made that face. So I was like, oh my gosh, I can't. I know it's bad. Well, and if we, every now and then I post a picture, maybe when this comes out, I'll post a, a real-time picture so, so everybody can see. I also have stacks of books under my table. I have books like on the floor, but I mean, the book situation, I probably have close to 50 books within arm's reach of my bedside. Um, I do read the four to six books at a time. But I also, I've got some library books sitting there. Um, I've got, you know, my Bible and some journals sitting there. Sometimes I put, like, if I feel like I want to read this book next, I put it there. But then it just ends up in a pile of books because I, because I read so many books at one time, it takes me a while to finish them. So it's just a situation. Not a yeah. great one. Not a great one. <laughs> I love that. I am a serial, like, three-quarter of a book person. And yeah. that's how I end up with multiple books on my nightstand where I'm like, I have the bookmark three quarters of the way through and then I start yeah. a new one, but I, yeah, I have Me to too. like force myself to go back. Yeah. Me too. And, and part of that is library books. Like I, because then you go to the library, which I adore a library, but it messes up the flow because now you have a due date. Now <laughs> you have to read this in a certain amount of time. And so you push other things aside and you still return them late. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> if you're me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Okay. What do you love about Jesus? What do I love about, I, what I love about Jesus is that he knew what it meant to eat with his friends and, and he knew why it mattered to eat with, um, people who thought of themselves or who other people thought of as, you know, his enemies or the wrong kind of people or, you know, fill in the blank. I mean, he just, he's just like eating with people all throughout the gospels. And I think that's amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's that gathering around food. Yeah. Yeah. What do you know for sure? Oh dear. What I know for sure is that the sky will guide us. I know that paying attention to the sky for me is the most um, important spiritual practice I have accidentally taken up in recent years. And I know that might sound really weird to some people. There's a time I would have rolled my eyes at it, but, but paying attention to 
to the sky has given me a a truer sense of God's love for me somehow. Um, it has it has knitted me to my community in ways that are hard to articulate. I just think, you know, we are, we are all under the same sky and the sky is just, it's like, um, it's, it's a piece of art and we get to, we get to notice it every day. And when, when I pay attention to it and I do every day, it's just a reminder to me that, that, that God is with us, that God is, that God loves beauty, that God is caring for us. Um, and so I highly recommend it. I highly recommend just just taking a minute to to gaze up at or out or down even to pay attention to some aspect of creation and to keep doing it for a long, long time. Mm, absolutely. Okay. Final question, Shannon. What okay. is filling your well right now? What is filling my well right now is my work at the window, the kitchen that I work in. Um, my, from my coworkers, the people I get to cook lunch with every day, and we're really ragtag crew to the people, you know, our lunch friends who come and eat lunch and who, who know my name, who greet me by name and who I, you know, I'm learning their names and, and learning what they like and what they don't like and getting to know their personalities and seeing the world from, um, from their perspective and, and seeing the ways that causes discomfort in my life. I mean, all of those things are, they're significant and they're important. And, and that is, I, I was, I was reflecting maybe with my therapist recently, but like, you know, I think I, I ended up meeting with her one day after I was at the kitchen and that that's not the normal routine, but I was like, you know what? Like I'm always the happiest on days that I, that I got to be in that kitchen. And I don't know, you know, it's, it's like that bodily work. It's all the things it's community. It's lunch. Um, it's, it's that 100% is filling my well. Absolutely. I, I love that feeling of getting to know people and that calling by name, Yeah, especially for folks who walk very different life paths. Yeah. 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 And being called by name. I mean, that's the, that goes back to like the receiving thing, you know, like when, when they, when they show up at that window, that serving window, and and I'm putting food on their tray and and making small talk. And, but when they come up and say, Hey, Shannon, I mean, there's just nothing like that. Nothing like it. Mm, Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Shannon, for being here and for your books, um, multiple books, but this one, especially, and, um, just for the gift of your time and your wisdom today, I really appreciate it. I loved every minute of it and tell your, your church friends, I said, hello. I will. (laughs) Thank you. My friends, what a gift that conversation was. Thank you so much for being here and for listening and, and just being a part of this community. I'm so grateful to be your be your neighbor virtually. (laughs) I hope that you find different ways to connect with us, to connect with Shannon. I'm going to link to all the things in the show notes about her, her book, um, her monthly newsletter that she sends out and all sorts of things. So you can get connected with her and be sure to sign up for our weekly devotional too. We send them out most of the time on Monday mornings, unless I'm running behind. 
So please be sure to subscribe to that. It's free. We are almost to 500 subscribers. We're like 10 away. So help us out. Let's get to 500 before the end of this season of Lent. Um, and just know that you will get a little bit of inspiration and gospel good news in your inbox every Monday morning. Thank you again for being here. Thank you to Bree, our sound editor. Thank you to Shannon for her wisdom and her grace and her yes to being here. And for all of you for being such good friends and neighbors. And now I invite you to receive this blessing. May you go forth knowing you are a beloved child of God, knowing everyone you come across is also a beloved child of God, knowing we all live in this beloved neighborhood of God's kingdom. And we are called to love one another, to love ourselves so that we can more fully love God imperfectly as it might be. May you go forth blessed and held forever by the one whom we call our creator, our redeemer, and our sustainer. God be with you always, my friend, and thank you for being here. God bless. My friend, thank you so much for joining us today. I am so grateful for you. Without you, this ministry would not be possible. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. The Lady Preacher podcast is part of a nonprofit called Dancing Pastor Ministries. And you can find us online at dancingpastor.org or join the community by finding us on Facebook at Dancing Pastor Ministries. If you would like to be a part of supporting this podcast, there are many ways you can do that without giving monetarily. You can share our posts on social media, send an episode to a friend, or just leave a review. If you would like to support us financially, you can do so at dancingpastor.org slash give. My friend, you are a gift. Thank you for being here and God bless.